This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. This is the Thursday show where I have a conversation with someone in the food world I think you'll want to hear from. He is the president of the Houston Hospitality Alliance and someone who has worn a bunch of other hats in the restaurant business. We'll talk about all that. Jonathan Horowitz, welcome back to the show. How are you? doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it on this uh, first cold day of the year. Finally. I, know, I got to turn my seat heaters on. I feel I've never, I've never felt so happy. Yeah. You know, the last time you were on the show, I, I looked this up. It was October of 2020. You had just come off a lengthy stint as the president of legacy restaurants. You had started a hospitality consulting business and then it, it seems to me you've held a couple of hats since then. I know you did some work for Transwestern and then Midway, most recently, yeah, I'm sorry, Midway, Midway. Oh, Midway yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Midway. And then, and then you worked for uh Buffalo Bayou Brewing Company. So why don't, why don't we kind of start there? I mean, talk a little bit about your time with, with Midway and then uh, with Buffalo Bayou and then, and then we'll move on to uh, your current role with the Hospitality Alliance. Yeah, sure. So, you know, obviously <laughs> In a in a genius stroke of timing, I had launched my hospitality consulting company in February of 2020, um, literally February 1st. So I had about six weeks before the world shut down. Um, and that was obviously a very interesting time, not only for me, but for the entire industry, as we all know. And it's still, you know, we're, we're still crawling out of it and we're still struggling to some extent. Um, I used a little bit of that time to uh, go get uh, a real estate license. You know, I, I obviously practiced law a long time ago. I still have a law license, but I went and got a real estate license and um, during the shutdown and did a little work with Collier's. So I did a little real estate stuff there and was also doing my consulting. And around that time, I had reconnected with uh, Brad Friels of Midway because uh, I had been, uh, we had been one of their tenants uh, for the tasting room both in city center and out in uh, Kingwood. And so I'd known Brad over the years and they had just announced um, the golf course, East River Nine over at their East River development. And I saw that and I was like, man, that's super cool. And, you know, obviously I was a golfer. I played golf in college and that really just kind of struck me as something that was going to be super interesting. And so I sent Brad an email. I was like, hey, you know, uh, let's keep in touch. Wanted to reconnect, that kind of thing. And he said, funny, you should, you know, reach out right now. We're we're looking to do some restaurant development within Midway, uh, which is obviously a, a well-developed uh, real estate development company uh, that has all kinds of big projects like City Center and East River and uh, Green Street downtown. So we got together and what he was trying to put together was basically an internal restaurant development company within Midway so that they could basically develop their own concepts or grow existing concepts 
and place them in their various um, mixed use centers. So like if they wanted to put a breakfast concept in city center, they wouldn't need to go to like snooze or toasted yolk. They would just do it themselves. In theory. Yeah. In theory, which, which is a great idea, you know, in theory, I think what we found over the course of that year, uh, which was basically 2021 that, you know, it sounds great, but it's, it's hard to implement and it is particularly hard to implement in a company like that, which is really focused on large scale real estate development and not so much restaurant development. The two are very dissimilar as you would imagine. And so, you know, we gave it a go. We tried to acquire a concept. It didn't work out. Um, I did some work for them in college station on one of their existing concepts and getting a new one open, um, which was really cool. Uh, and then a little bit on East river nine, uh, and then we just kind of decided it just wasn't going to work, you know, long term. And it was, you know, amicable, mutual. And right around that time, I had started uh, talking to uh, the folks at Buffalo Bayou, for which I had done some consulting over the years, um, both pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. So I had kind of an existing relationship there. And so that's when those conversations started again. And so we can, you know, we can kind of go into that uh, as the next step in the, the timeline. Yeah, yeah, because I, it, it hadn't occurred to me right until I got an email from you that you were, you were working over there. I mean, obviously you have a, you know, what I kind of got a yada did, but you, you have a terrific background in restaurants. You were with the tasting room for a long time when they grew Max's Wine Dive and and some other concepts in, in San Antonio. You you were with Legacy Restaurants, which is, you know, Ninfas and Antones at a time when, you know, Ninfas opened in in Uptown and, and Antones opened a couple of new locations. You you gave a run at a, a fast casual version of Ninfas in a at, at the understory food hall that again I think kind of got pandemic really just just it did like, unfortunately. You know, but but it was a but it but a fast casual taco concept that was a really a really cool idea and a, and a fun extension of the Ninfas brand. So obviously so you know a lot about restaurants and so but it just never occurred to me that of all the people to kind of step in after the the you know the founders departed from Buffalo Bayou that that you would be the you would be the guy. Yeah, so I guess kind of doubling back just for a second, like I said, I had done a little bit of consulting work with them previously, so there was kind of that existing relationship, and then towards the end of last year, I got to know the guy who was basically taking it over. Billy McLucas, who uh, basically stepped in, was part of the board, and then stepped in um, towards the end of last year when there was basically a change of control. And you know, he is a financial guy. He's he's a money guy. He's not a he's not a um, you know seasoned restaurant operator. And so we got to talking, and I think he recognized that he was going to need some help on the operational side. And so we you know kind of worked it out, and I. Uh, started over there on December 1st of last year, so not quite a year ago. And the idea, obviously, was to take what was there, you know, um, really good quality existing brand, um, both from the beverage side on the on the beers that they make and also the hospitality side uh, with a great venue and, you know, good tap room, good food, great views, you know, all of the great stuff that they've got. And it's it's a really 
It's a good brand. Uh, it really is. It's a really good quality product. And so obviously they've gone through all kinds of different issues, um, both in terms of you know, management and control and financial, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. None of which we're going to delve into here, right? I'm not, you know. No, I mean, it is what it is. There's stuff out there in the public that that people are aware of. But, you know, from my standpoint, the reason I really agreed to do it and was was excited about doing it was it's such a good product. There's The, the bones are really great there. Um, and there's a great team. There's a lot of people, actually, people don't realize, there's a lot of people have been there for a long time. Um, five, seven years, you know, whether that's in the hospitality side or in the, you know, management side and great people. I mean, really, really good people now. Um, I, I think, you know, it, 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 a lot of the folks that were there during some of the problematic times are, are no longer there. And the folks that are still there are really fantastic. And uh, I was excited to kind of help them rebuild, grow, expand, you know, all of those idealistic things. And so we were working on that all the, the past, I don't know, nine, 10 months or so. Uh, and then, you know, it's been a continuing struggle. Um, a lot of that has to do with the just current economic climate. Uh, raising money is difficult, et cetera, et cetera. Inflation, you name it, whatever else, uh, all of the things that are plaguing the industry in general. And so this new opportunity with the Houston Hospitality Alliance presented itself pretty recently, actually. Um, and it was something that when I looked at it, I was like, man, this is this is me. You know, I mean, it's just it's, it's right up my alley. And so um, that came to fruition pretty quickly over the course of just a couple months. Um, and then, you know, now here we are. So. That that kind of brings us up to to the present. <laughs> All right. So so what is the Houston Hospitality Alliance? Because I I mean I know you've worked with the Houston Restaurant Association and the Texas Restaurant Association, uh, and I have some familiarity with with those organizations. But but I don't think I don't think I'd heard that term before you started working there. Gotcha. Okay. So a little bit of the history, a little bit of the background. The Houston Hospitality Alliance is the rebirth or next generation of the Greater Houston Convention and Visitors Bureau. So the GHCVB is a 60-year-old organization, been around for 60 years. Um, about 10 years ago, the city of Houston and the then mayor and, and city council created Houston First, which is the for-profit business entity that owns the convention center. It's partly owns the Hilton America's hotel. It owns a lot of parking downtown, a lot of um, venues. It owns a uh, comic Palooza. It makes money. And it also is the DMO. It's the destination marketing organization for the city. So like, for example, when you get the, the Super Bowl comes in or you get the college football playoffs or FIFA um, World Cup or the Republican National Convention, all of those things, Houston First is going out and getting those and getting conventions to come to town. Right. They also facilitate, if someone from GQ or Esquire is coming to Houston, they'll facilitate, you know, hotel accommodations and try to give them an itinerary of places to go and, and show them around. Right. And so they are the DMO that, that they market the the destination and try to get people to come to Houston and spend money, essentially. I mean, that's, that's the... Um, the crux of it, whether that's 
tourism or convention business or large scale events, you know, uh, as I was mentioning a second ago. So the city about 10 years ago dropped, essentially dropped Houston first on top of the CVB, the Convention Visitors Bureau. And throughout the course of the past decade or so, they've been trying to figure out who does what, how they work together. And because the Houston first would get all of the hotel and occupancy tax money, right? That's how they get their revenue, plus revenue from all of the big entities that they own. Um, the CVB essentially is a, a nonprofit organization. Um, and so last year in 2022, they kind of came together and said, look, we're either going to figure this out and figure out how to really work together properly, or we're going to split and go our separate ways. And so over the course of uh, six months or so, they came to the conclusion that they were going to divorce. And so they went through essentially a business divorce process. And as of January 1st of this year, of 2023, the Convention and Visitors Bureau rebranded as Houston Hospitality Alliance. And it is a 501c6 nonprofit organization um, that is charged with basically connecting, advocating for, educating all of the hospitality entities in the Houston area. So what does that mean? Um, unlike what, is, unlike what does that mean? And, and what, and how is it different from the restaurant association, which exactly that's, yes. that's kind of what the restaurant association does at least for to some extent, to some extent. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, right now there's, there's a little bit of an alphabet soup of a bunch of uh, organizations that all kind of exist in, in the, in the same sphere. Um, so you've got the Texas Restaurant Association and the Houston chapter of the Texas Restaurant Association. They, we, because I'm actually still chair of the board statewide for the TRA for another two and a half months, we focus specifically on restaurants, restaurants only, improving the business of restaurants. And that is statewide. There's 23 chapters. It's massive and essentially you know, represents all 50 plus thousand restaurants around the state of Texas. There's also the Hotel and Lodging Association, and that's, you know, here in Houston. And obviously, as the name would suggest, it focuses solely on hotels and lodging. The HHA, Houston Hospitality Alliance, essentially represents, advocates for, promotes anything related to hospitality in the entire city. So that includes hotels, restaurants, bars, breweries, other like event venues, um, museums, the zoo, arts organizations, theaters, you know, anything that you can think of that somebody would do if they came to town. So it's not just restaurants. It's not just hotels. It's all of those things together that kind of in, encapsulate all of hospitality in Houston. So the HHA now, it, and it's kind of taken all year to get to this point. So they officially split as of January 1st. They didn't announce the HHA until April. They got, you know, bylaws created literally starting from scratch. I mean, they're, they had a board of directors, but no staff, no infrastructure, no office, no nothing like that. So the board of directors hired uh, an outside consulting company, uh, association management company, 
And these consultants have basically been running kind of the back end of the organization for the board of directors and with the board of directors to get them to this point. So towards the end of the summer, they came to the you know conclusion that they were ready to hire a leader. And so they went out and did a national search. They hired a search firm, et cetera, et cetera. And I became part of that process. Uh, and I was fortunate enough after going through the interview process and everything else to be selected essentially as employee number one of the Houston Hospitality Alliance. So uh, my my official title is president of HHA. And now my charge as, a, as we go forward into 2024 is to create the structure around the organization. So that would involve hiring staff, creating the mission, doing the messaging, and just kind of figuring it all out. And a lot of that has to do with figuring out how all these groups work together. Because as you would imagine, you've got Houston First, you've got the Restaurant Association, you've got Hotel and Lodging, you've got Greater Houston Partnership, you've got the Chambers, you know, you've got all these organizations that are all swimming in the same pond. Um, we all have to figure out how to work together, how to not step on toes, because we're all we we all want the same thing. Everybody wants to promote the industry, whatever the industry is, to promote that, create more revenue, bring more people to town, and and show off you know what Houston hospitality is all about. So when I think about that, I've been doing this almost twenty years in Houston, and as you know, Eric, I mean what's happened in the past 10, 12, 15 years in Houston hospitality, particularly with restaurants, has been extraordinary. I mean, the level of growth, the recognition, the notoriety, the talent, all of that stuff. And I feel like I've kind of grown up with that, you know, because I was kind of getting involved in the industry right around that time and have really kind of gone along with that evolution in Houston. And now you know, to have the ability to kind of represent all of hospitality in Houston and the most diverse city in the country is, to me, I mean, it's super cool. It was an opportunity that I really wasn't expecting, but I just couldn't pass it up. Yeah. So let me just ask you, you know, as you say, they, there there are all these other organizations that are already kind of in this space. So, you know, as you start to think about your role and and building out this organization, what does the HHA do that's going to be unique to it. Right, right. So we have the ability and the opportunity to be um, what I would term as a connector, like a connector organization. All of these other organizations are fairly specific and they deal with one kind of element or one aspect of, of an industry. Um, like I said earlier, we're all of hospitality. So we have the opportunity to bring all of these different entities together, whether those are, you know, restaurants, hotels, venues, attractions, museums, arts organizations, whatever, and give them an opportunity to all communicate with one another in a, in a central place and be that connector. Uh, that's one part of it. There's certainly an advocacy element to this. Um, and, and, you know, obviously other organizations do their advocacy as well, but we are we are hyper local, you know, we are just about Houston. So there'll be a lot of communication with city council, whether that's about labor issues or permitting or, you know, all of the, the pain points that everybody experiences when 
when dealing with that kind of stuff, there will be, you know, advocacy that we're going to do. Um, we're going to do education. You know, how do we help people make their businesses better? And part of that is by connecting them with other businesses that can help them. Um, so there's there's a significant element of that kind of education and connecting. And then the last thing is really about promotion. I want to be able to hype Houston, right? I, I've kind of existed in this world for 20 years. I love it. I love Houston. I love Houston hospitality. I love everything about it. Um, I want to be able to show it off. I want to tell people where to go and what to do. You know, we kind of talk about, you know, Houston first going and bringing all these people into town for, for great events or conventions or whatever it is. We want to be able to give them all the information about how to best experience the hospitality of Houston. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So it's, it's kind of four things. You've got connecting, advocating, educating, and promoting. That's kind of the, the mantra right now. <laughs> all right. It's a lot. Um, it is a lot. <laughs> I, I, talk about the advocating right now, because obviously, you know, we're in early voting for the election. There's, there's yes. a diverse slate of people running for city council, and we're going to have a new mayor pretty soon. And, and every restaurateur I talk to complains about the speed of permitting. And, and then also, you know, one inspector will come and say, oh, you got to do this thing. And then a week later, a different inspector comes and says, oh, no, that's wrong. You got to do something completely different. And so there just doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency. And so I, I you know, I, I'm not I'm not asking you to, like, endorse a specific candidate or anything. I, I don't think you're in a position to do that. But but you know, as you engage with these candidates and as they kind of make their pitch to the voters, what are, what are you doing to sort of communicate that, that this system is, is at least from, from the restaurant's perspective, not working as intended? Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I mean, I, I have the unique experience of having lived through that myself, right? I mean, I have firsthand experience of, of going through these processes and how difficult and painful and expensive and time consuming, um, so I can actually I can actually answer this on two fronts because I know the Restaurant Association, the TRA, and its local chapter, the Houston Restaurant Association, extremely extremely involved in in that process as well. The HHA just uh, maybe two weeks ago, I think two and a half weeks ago, we did a, a candidate forum. Um, we had five or six of the mayoral candidates do a, a forum at the U of H Conrad School. Uh, which went really well. And every every time we talk to either candidates or existing council members, um, members of, of any city administration, we are hammering, hammering from all angles uh, the issues about permitting. And they are they are well aware. Um, they talk about it a lot. But I will tell you from my my skeptic side, you know, We've been doing this for a long time, and we've had these discussions for a long time. We're always talking about how it's going to be better, it's going to be better, it's going to be better. It hasn't really happened the way everybody needs and wants it to happen. So I understand that they're aware of it, they're concerned about it, we keep talking about it. You know, the proof is in the pudding. Somebody somewhere has to figure out how to fix it. You know, it's certainly not easy both from a, a you know manpower standpoint, budgetary standpoint, et cetera, but it's it's got to get fixed. I mean, you know, I mean, look at every single day, there's five new restaurants opening and it's not slowing down. 
Well, and, and but I guess from the city side, right, there's no incentive to change it, right? They still get they still get their money. Businesses continue to open here. I mean, I had Andrew Smith from Savory Fund on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about how pro-business Houston is. I and mean, that's why they're investing millions of dollars here, as opposed to other Texas cities or, or cities around the country that, that are even, I, I guess, even more screwed up than we are. Well, yeah. And I, I've talked to Andrew a little bit myself and, uh, you know, it's great to have folks like that coming in from, from elsewhere and helping grow here. Um, the other thing I can tell you is, you know, from talking to other folks around the country through the restaurant associations and stuff, as difficult as we may think it is here, we're in such a better position in Houston than just about any other city um, or certainly outside of Texas. I mean, Texas is, is, pro-business, business-friendly in that regard. Uh, and Houston is is great. It's why so many people want to come here and do business. Uh, you know, to your point about the city having its incentive, they're, you know, they're going to get their money anyway, places keep opening. They could, the city could be getting so much more money and it could, it could move so much faster. If you, you know, if you're delayed six months, that's six months of tax revenue that the city's not getting, not to mention how much it, totally screws up the operator in their finances and all of their plans, but the city's missing out on tax revenue. Every delay, every single delay is is bad for the city as much as it's bad for the operator. Right. And we should say it's not that people are looking for shortcuts or, or don't understand that there, there have to be rules about placements of hood vents and, and bathrooms and, and, and everything else that, that these regulations cover people want to be in compliance but they just want a consistent set of standards and they want relatively efficient approval of the, of all those plans well the, those you hit absolutely 100% the two key buzzwords consistency and efficiency if they could create that system so that things move quickly and efficiently through the system and that everything is consistent when you do it no matter which department you're in, no matter which inspector you get on any given day, if that would be nirvana for, for everybody trying to do stuff and grow in Houston. Well, and then, and then the other thing that always kind of cracks me up is that apparently, you know, there's these these services of people who used to work for the city and now we're the liaison between the city and, and the, right. the, the individual projects. Yeah, the expediters. and they All the expediters. Yeah, that, that just seems like, I mean, well, that just strikes me as absurd. Yeah. And and of course, we used to use expediters as well. I think. Well, you have you to, know, right? I mean, you'd be yeah, sort of stupid not to. Yeah, you have. And it's just another expense. And, you know, people people ask me all the time why it's so difficult. Why, you know, why do so many places fail so quickly? And it's not because they have a bad location or a bad chef or a bad menu or, or anything like that. It's because it's just too damn expensive and it takes too long. Um, delays are killers. Uh, it's just people run out of money. Um, and, and so we used to use the expediters a lot and I don't think they're nearly as effective anymore because even they can't get things through the system. Unfortunately, you know, the, the way that the, the system is working right now. So, you know, to, to go back to your initial question, every single candidate has been grilled about what they would do regarding the permitting issues. And, you know, let's hope whoever gets in there, whoever gets elected, really follows through and gets creative and figures out ways to to make the system better. 
So what are your, what are some of your other goals for this new role? You know, where would you like to be a year from now? Yeah. So I think a year from now, um, there's a couple things that, you know, are kind of high on the priority list. One obviously is, you know, like I said, building that structure, creating that structure of the organization itself. Uh, I'm going to have to hire, you know, some staff and in various uh, positions and roles. I mean, you know, I'm literally, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to office, right? Because I don't, I don't want to work out of out of my house forever. So uh, we're looking at we're looking at some office space right now, and there are some very basic things that need to get done like that. But then, as we go forward, I want to be able to create, you know, whether they're events or membership drives or mixers or whatever they are, to bring people from other parts of the hospitality industry together. Uh, that aren't just all restaurants at the same time or just aren't all hotels at the same time. We did an event a few nights ago at the rodeo uh, with the rodeo committee over at NRG Center. And, you know, that was super cool because there were so many people from different backgrounds and different businesses that all were able to get together. Um, It's things like that where we can have some programming. I definitely want to create some really good event opportunities for people. We, We had a big presence and big participation in Southern Smoke uh, last week, you know, um, we had a, a big, big area there and, you know, it's getting involved in those kind of things. And then, you know, also I want to just raise the profile, um, as we go forward into 2024, uh, raise the profile of the organization to have people understand that it's a, it's a place for them to come together, uh, meet other hospitality folks, potentially that they wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to get together with. Uh, and learn from them, you know, maybe create additional business opportunities for each other. Um, and so, you know, a lot of this right now and the early going is kind of feeling things out, figuring out where our lane is, because as as we talked about earlier with some of the other groups out there, you know, we there's going to be some overlap. We know that there's going to be some overlap because we're all kind of rowing in the same direction, right? We all want the same results. Um, but we all need to figure out kind of what our lanes are and stuff. So that's that, that's kind of the early going um, as we go forward. I mean, is it is it basically cordial? I, I, is there's not like too many uh, sharp elbows being thrown about uh, stay out of my lane or, or or any of that kind of stuff? Well, well, it's early yet. <laughs> so <laughs> so I mean, so so far, yes, it's it's all been very cordial, and you know. Part of what I'm doing right now is I'm having meeting after meeting after meeting, you know, just talking to all the key players, uh, making sure everybody knows, you know, who who's doing what and where. I mean, again, we're fortunate in that we all have the the goal in mind We're we all want to improve business in Houston and we want to be able to show off, you know, all of the great stuff that's here, the the foods, the destinations, the the venues, the attractions, everything about it. So we're, we're, we're joined in a common cause. It's just how we all go about doing what we do. And it should be cordial, right? It, it really should be. So that's what I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm three, three and a half weeks into the job. So we'll see how it goes. Right, right. So, so <laughs> I, I mean, I guess the, the vision is, is what the, you know, if Houston first, like books a convention. And then when the conventioners get to their hotel, you know, there's a packet from the Houston hospitality Alliance of like recommended, bars and restaurants, for example. 
Yeah, I mean, that may be something that we could consider. I don't know the specifics of how that's going to work, but we're going to be out there, you know, figuring out how we can make sure that anybody who comes to town has the opportunity, you know, to find really neat, interesting things that are that may be off the beaten path or make sure that, you know, you just don't want them to miss, right? Because um, you know this and traveling to other cities and things like that. I mean, there's so much information available. You do one search and, you know, Houston First has has Visit Houston, which is great and provides a lot of that information. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to work with that. We're going to supplement that. We're going to do different things. Um, ultimately, the, the goal is all the same, to make sure that anybody who comes to town you know, has a, an absolutely fantastic experience. Maybe, maybe it's you know pointing them to the off the beaten path things that you know Chris Shepard's talking about and and doing you know his stuff. Um, there there are so many different ways to get that done. I've got a complete hit list of of people that I know in the industry who are just out there enjoying themselves and promoting things, and whether they have blogs or or they're just utilizing social media, you know. I want to muster that army of of folks that are so passionate um, about the hospitality industry in Houston and figure out how we can make all of that stuff work together just to lift to lift everybody up, uh, you know, in terms of the industry. And ultimately, the goal is to make business better. Um, we just we just want to make sure that everybody has a great opportunity to have a to have a great business, you know, here in Houston. Yeah. All right. Well, let me let me shift topics on you just a little bit. Uh Uh-oh. You're you're kind of one of the the big brains that that come on the on the show. You have kind of a broader view. So so get a little philosophical with me. Get you know I'd like to kind of look at the state of Houston restaurants a little more broadly as we you know we've come out of the pandemic. You know whatever concerns about the economy that people had don't don't seem to have materialized. You know unemployment remains low. Inflation's coming down. So there is some you know my sense is that there's some optimism at least judging by. Uh, the number of openings we've seen recently and the and the number that keep getting announced. So give me kind of big picture. I mean, what is your perception of of the state of of Houston restaurants? Yeah, so I have feelings. Um <laughs> I, I knew you I knew you would. <laughs> I have feelings. So it's been it's pretty it's been pretty extraordinary to see the pace and level of growth that we've seen even just in the past 12 months. And, you know, we, we talk about coming out of COVID. However, uh, that hangover is still there and it's still very real. A lot of the bills are coming due. A lot of the things that got put off are coming to coming due. There's a lot of, a lot of repayment things happening. It's, it's not easy for a lot of particularly restaurant, but other hospitality businesses out there. It's, it's, it's still quite difficult, unfortunately. And I, I'm really kind of seeing, to some extent, the haves and the have-nots. Um, I'm not seeing a whole lot in the middle right now. There's this, as you know, massive amount of growth, a lot of people coming into town from out of town, a lot of money pouring in, a lot of big projects, a lot of big, very fancy, expensive projects coming online right now, tremendous amount of money being invested. But on the flip side, we see people every day like on social media, begging for customers, folks in, and businesses that you wouldn't ordinarily expect. You think, oh, they, you know, they must be great. They're, they're doing fine. They're always busy. Folks posting, hey, it's really slow. We need people to come in. You know, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. 
and we see closures all the time. Um, saw another one a couple of days ago that just kind of out of the blue, uh, may have been down in Galveston, but either way, I, I get a lot of this through social media as, as a lot of people do. Um, it's great to be connected, but it also shows that while there's a great amount of growth and money coming in, there are a lot of businesses still really, really struggling. So when you, when you put on top of all of the inflationary pressures, the costs, the labor, the cost of food, all of those things that have gotten so much higher and made it so much more difficult to operate, you put a bunch of new spots on top of that that increases the competition, spreads the, the marketplace around the demand, you know, there's still demand, but eventually we're reaching saturation. Um, and it's it's making it even more difficult uh, for those that are just kind of hanging on. And there's so many that are still just kind of hanging on, as, even though we've kind of come out of the pandemic. Um, this increased competition is just going to make it even harder and harder. So, you know, I'm optimistic in terms of you know, Houston being a fantastic place to do business. It's diverse. The The food scene's incredible. It's a great place to be and visit and all of those things. That makes me optimistic. Uh, however, I kind of, I couch that in terms of it's not great for everybody. And I'm, I'm still, you know, concerned to some extent about the folks who really have just been hanging on. And now they're hanging on like for four years. And that's a long time to just kind of be scraping by. It's the business, as you know, the business is tough enough anyway, uh, but when you add all of this stuff on top of it, it just makes it so much harder. It really does. It's I, I don't know how it's all going to shake out. And obviously, we're coming into more uncertain times with everything that's happening in the world and the election year and still inflation, inflation, inflation. So I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but I do know that there it's not as rosy as some people might think. I mean, I still want to get a lot more people to go out to eat. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> um, and and but but like I said, Houston as a city is doing better than a lot of other places in the country. But that doesn't mean that we're in the clear and everything's great and wonderful and all of that stuff. Yeah, you know, I I get sort of torn by those sort of competing impulses because I you know, you talk about sort of established places that are hanging on. And, and I think about new places that for whatever reason, if they don't, if they don't catch on right away, could be gone in, in six months or a year, even with, even with good food, even with, with a good, like a good concept and a good location. You know, I, I, you know, I, I was speaking to a chef recently who, who basically just asked me for some help, like trying to promote what he's doing. Cause it's, you know, it's an, it's a newer place and, and it just, you know, for whatever reason, either they didn't have the money to hire a PR firm or, or whatever initial PR they did around the opening didn't last very long. And then it didn't quite, it's probably not going to make the the top 10 best new restaurants of the year. It's probably, it didn't make the Chronicle top 100 for whatever reason. And so, you know, they're, they're looking at kind of a dark road. And so it's like, well, what can, you know, what, what can a, a restaurant like that do to kind of, save itself before it's it's too late yeah and and unfortunately i mean a there are a lot of those right it's it's you know there, there's probably five or ten for every one that you actually hear from and they don't have a whole lot of time unfortunately um and that's kind of going back to you know the earlier discussion about 
you know, the delays and the costs and all of the things that go into getting someplace open just in the first place, it's tough. And there's not a lot of runway there. I mean, most people who get into this don't just have piles of money lying around to be able to weather the storm. And so it just makes it harder and harder. I think, you know, not only are we seeing new folks come in from out of town, but we're seeing a lot of local concepts um, adding locations, right? I mean, somebody literally just today wrote this article that I saw about a restaurant called Relish. I don't know who would have written that, but, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they just announced a, a second location. And so, you know, it's not just all the new folks coming in. It's folks here locally seeing opportunities um, to open new places. But at, to your point, if they don't catch on quickly, there's not a lot of runway there. Right. But, but that is, you know, that is every Facebook commenter's favorite criticism, right? Oh, we don't need another, another steakhouse, another pizzeria, another Tex-Mex restaurant, another whatever. But then, you know, I, like I go to Nono's, the, the pizzeria from the Nobis folks, and it's packed. And that's with Beetlejuice just opened down the street. Love Buzz has been there a long time. Pizarro's, Romano's. I mean, there's no shortage of pizzerias in Montrose, but it's, it's kind of an original spin. It's got that nostalgic design. It's it's family friendly. The kids can play, can play pinball, and of course the food's really great. So I don't I don't really want to tell people, you know, like there, there's no from my perspective, there's no such thing as we have too many, right? If if something is is smart and well executed, I, I feel like there's room, but you but you got to be real. You got to you got to have your pencil really sharp when you when you throw open the doors. I think. Yeah. And, and so then the question becomes, you know, can they recreate that somewhere else? And is it is it worth trying to recreate that somewhere else? Or is it, I'm not going to say lightning in a bottle, but is it something that is unique to that particular space or area or, um, you know, business trade area or, or neighborhood or whatever it is, you know, if they go try to do it, I don't know, in Katy, right? Is it is it gonna is it gonna have the same right right if it does if it doesn't have a bunch of hipster mantras parents uh in in retro band t-shirts with their with their kids you know does it does it translate and and right you know i don't even know if sarah and martin you know the owners of the stayers the owners of of no no's even aspire to doing that right like they they've opened three businesses in mantras they seem to really like mantras so maybe they're good but but it wouldn't surprise me if somebody else looked at that and thought, oh, you know, I could do like a a retro Pizza Hut thing in Katy or the Woodlands or something that's family friendly. Like I I wouldn't be surprised if someone knocks them off and tries right. to adapt right. it to another part of the city. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know, to your point and kind of what I was alluding to earlier, um, you know, the the rate of failure is is obviously difficult in this business, but more often than not, it comes down to just running out of money. The concept can be great. Location can be good. Food's good. All of those things. If you can't get over that hump and you can't weather the storm, or if you get delayed and delayed and delayed, what uh, what's the um, the one that Hori just is opening right now, soft opening? Katami, yeah. Katami, right? I, I saw uh, in, in the reporting there that they've been delayed, you know, by construction issues and permitting and whatever it is. And, you know, that translates to dollars that costs them more and more money, not just from getting the place open, but just not bringing in revenue. I mean, right. I mean, that was supposed to be open five or six months ago, you know, and 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 think of how just open now. 
Yeah, think of how much money that has cost them over the course of those five, six months, not only in lost revenue, but just additional expenses and paying staff and labor and all of these things. You know, a lot of companies, certainly the smaller ones or the mom and pops, they just can't afford that. And it that leads to a lot of unfortunate, really sad closures. So again, I, I couch all of that optimism of all the growth and the wonderful things with that kind of cautionary, it's it's not rainbows and unicorns and butterflies for everybody. All right. Let me let me just ask you a couple other things. We're we're running long, but but I'm enjoying this. So I'm gonna keep it going <laughs> just a little bit. Uh sure. why do you why do you think seafood is so trendy? Like, like how did we how did we go from from reef closing in 2019, I think, to all of a sudden we have Navy Blue and Balboa Surf Club, sure. Little's Oyster Bar and Clark's and pretty soon Dune Road from from Ben Berg. I mean, what what is what, why is seafood having a moment? So I'm I'm fully in favor of it, by the way. I love it. Um, oh, no, but, no. Yeah, this is not a complaint. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I like all of those I, restaurants. Totally. No, I, I'm, I'm expressing my generalized support. But um, so, again, thinking back, I've been in Houston now 33 years. Right. And what what has always the perception been? It's always, you know, steak and potatoes, steak houses, barbecue, Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex. Tex-Mex. Right. that's it. Right. That, that, that's that's what it was all about. And so there have been fits and starts and fits and starts of a little bit of fish here, a little bit of seafood here, you know. I, but I if remember. you were going to do seafood, it was going to be Gulf Coast, right? Snapper, right. redfish. And and that was pretty much it. Right. So Fried now, right. yeah. And so now, as we've talked about, just the explosion of talent and notoriety and, you know, James Beard and all of these other things that have come into Houston in the past 10 years, I think it naturally follows that they're going, that there is the recognition of, a void in the in the marketplace. And that void for a long time has been really good, interesting seafood concepts. And now, particularly again, as you have folks coming in from out of town, they're like, we're going to fill that void and we're going to do it right, you know, and it's going to be really cool. And it's going to create something that this town really hasn't had in a long time. And so I think you're seeing that. I mean, unlike some of the other things, you know, whether it's poke bowls or other type of, you know, kind of trendy ups and downs sort of things. I don't think this is a trend. I think this is going to be just part of the fabric of the restaurant industry going forward. Um, and I think it's great. So what I think we'll see is a lot of these are pretty high end, you know, all of the ones you kind of listed off are, are pretty up there in terms of their price point and service level and all that. I think those will be established. And I think over the next few years, you're going to start to see some backfilling of more um, more common concepts that are a little bit more accessible, that aren't just, you know, fried fish palace or, or whatever it is. Um, you're going to see some more accessible mid-range fill-in type seafood fish restaurants, which I think is going to be great. Yeah, jo- Josephine. Josephine's is kind of encouraging that that it's a little yeah. more a little more casual, a little more affordable. Right. But even you know, even uh, places like Good Company Seafood, you know, they've been around a long, long time. It ain't cheap. You know, it's <laughs> no. I you know, I I mean, on on a kind of macro level, I I don't know if I've said it on this podcast. I've certainly said it to friends, but you know, it used to be you could have the hundred dollar dinner for two. 
and have a pretty nice meal at, at a good restaurant. And now that's the $150 dinner for two. And the splurgy $150 or $200 dinner for two is now the $250 or $300 dinner for two. It's, oh, yeah. It's freaking 500 I mean, well, yeah. If you, right. If you, I mean, if you want to do, <laughs> you know, March, March for two with a wine pairing is yeah. seven or $800. So, yeah. Right. I mean, it, right. We're, we're at a, a price point that we've never, never seen before. No. And, and, you know, frankly, you see that up and down the line. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day about nowadays you go to lunch, just a regular like Tuesday day lunch. You can't get out of anywhere for under 20 bucks a person, whereas it used to be $10. You know, I mean, you have a burger, Coke and fries nowadays. It's 20 bucks. I don't care where you are. It's, it's hard. Yeah. My, my, I went to, I, I, I can affirm that I went to burger bodega last week, had a burger, fries and milkshake. And it was uh, 20, 20 or 25 with the tip, you know, 25 yeah. bucks. So that's it. And it used to be, you know, you gr- go out and grab a quick lunch from the office. It's 12 bucks if, if, if you're splurging right now, it's, it's 25. So that whole, that's a paradigm shift. And, and again, part of that is just, you know, cost of living and inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're still in a better position than most other places, certainly in the North and, and the West coast on, on, price point, you know, type issues. But I think, I think the proliferation now of these new seafood concepts uh, just kind of reflects a, the diversity, but also the welcoming, you know, business climate of Houston, where people are, are seeing that they can really kind of come in and make it work here um, because the, a lot of people, a lot of demand, a lot of cosmopolitan palates um, that are really ready for that, uh, you know, that kind of cuisine, which I think it's great. All right, and then and then last question: what do, What do you think is next for us? I mean, what what what's coming, or or what would you like to see happen, or or take take that in in whatever direction you'd like. Well, I mean, I think generally when you when you talk to folks in the industry and anywhere in the industry, really, um, I think one of the biggest things that came out of the pandemic was the increase in technology that is you know, inherent in the industry. I know when we had the TRA, uh, you know, show um, at the George R. Brown this past summer, there were all the the, the robotics and the, and the robot servers and, you know, the um, robot chefs literally that are cooking the food or, or I think, I think we're going to see the continuation of that. I mean, obviously third-party delivery and online ordering, you know, so much of that has changed the way we consume food, uh, whether that's with friends or family or at home or at work. I think we're going to continue to see technology shape how we do that. And people are looking for speed and convenience and a great value proposition. You know, going out to wonderful places, you know, like March or Navy Blue or whatever, that's that's a different experience with different expectations. But from a from a day-to-day standpoint on how people get and consume their food, I just think it's going to be interesting to see this technological revolution that we really kind of got thrust upon us through COVID, how that shakes out over time and how that changes uh, the way we we consume food. So I don't know, remains to be seen. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's so interesting. We, because we're sort of focused on the, on the high-end places and, and these really you know, kind of uh, intimate, personalized experiences, and then, like I said, I had Andrew, Andrew Smith on a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "Yeah, we're looking for for quick serve." You know, like the the thing that drew him to uh, Saigon Hustle is that it has a drive through, and that they could just start knocking them out and and get to 
and get to 50 of them, they think, you know, over the next however many years. So it feels like there's that, that like high end and then sort of the, the less expensive stuff at, at more casual. And then I don't know where that leaves the middle. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned relish, but people just aren't opening restaurants like that right now. It doesn't well, seem like that. That's kind of what I was alluding to earlier when I said, you know, you've kind of got these two extremes. The middle is very tough right now. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, Quick serve, fast casual uh, is is the fastest growing. It's the largest segment uh, of the industry right now. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, the consumer wants a great value proposition. They're demanding so much more. They want better food, better quality, better service at a lower price. Again, everybody's become a lot more price conscious. Um, but on the flip side, it's much less expensive to build one of those than it is to build a march or you know, a navy blue or something like that, because, you know, just from a, a scale and cost standpoint, that's why it's so attractive for somebody coming like from Savory Fund, where they say, yeah, we can get one open for 800,000 or a million, as opposed to 3.5. And when you start thinking about taking something to scale, those numbers and those dollars add up so quickly. It's a, it's a question of, you know, can you do one or can you do four? And that that makes a huge difference for people. So um, yeah, that that middle that middle part's really getting squeezed uh, a lot. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I know we're gonna close, but I, I want I, before I let you go, or before you let me go, or before we both go, I want to <laughs> hear. I, Quinn and I are headed to Vegas. Speaking of high end dining, we're gonna go see you too. And I know you did that recently, so I want to just get a very quick synopsis of, of that experience. Well, well, let me just say, if you had already seen you two, this whole conversation would have just, the first 15 minutes would have just been talking about like how incredible that show is. And, and I've seen you two five or six times in multiple States and multiple venues. And there is just nothing like the sphere uh, because the, 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 the resolution of the, the graphics, and the the quality of the sound and everything it's so immersive that there were times when it, it they're scrolling up and down this this wall that's you know the screen and they're so immersive i i almost had to close my eyes for a minute just to kind of get my bearings yeah uh, and and I, we I've were heard that some people have you know vertigo or motion sickness issues right. potentially right and and i'll say that we we were sitting way up in the cheap seats or the the relative cheap seats and and I don't feel like we missed out on anything. You know, I wouldn't awesome. I wouldn't even want to be on the floor just because you you want some distance from it. You you want to be able to kind of look at it in in a broad in a broad view. I, I think if I if I were to go back, you know, we were up in the four hundreds, so maybe I'd be in the the three hundreds or the two hundreds. But I, I don't right. think I'd want to be right. any closer than that. And you know, I I went with a couple of friends who are not super into into dining, so I, I got two good meals. I I got to bizarre eat bizarre meats oh, rather. Nice. Yeah, Jose Andres's smokehouse or steakhouse, uh, live fire cooking, really elegant presentations, kind of a fun, like eclectic approach to to beef sourcing. I mean, I think in in some ways it it kind of reminds me of like a Tris, or like if Tris cooked on live fire, or or maybe something like that. Or uh, you know, I and I don't iron. I don't think there's and yeah iron. yeah kind of kind of somewhere somewhere between. Somewhere between Tris and Andiron and Georgia James, uh, with the South American, with 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 maybe a slight like Spanish South American thing that Toro Toro is doing, 
Um, sure. Bizarre Meats kind of occupies that that space. And then uh, I finally got to Din Tai Fung for, for the first time, which even even as lauded as that is, and as many people as I had, I've heard praise it and, and talked about it, just the the texture, the 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 thinness of the dumpling skin, the 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 flavor of the, the broth of the soup dumplings, the yeah, the diversity of that menu. I mean, there's there's really not like as much as I like our our Chinese restaurants and as much as I like going out for dim sum in Houston, there's nothing, there's nothing yeah, like Din Tai Fung. And and it only it only cements my desire that that someone like Midway should just back up the Briggs truck and just pay them whatever right. they want. Like yeah. fully, fully fund the build out, give them free rent for a year, like whatever it takes. <laughs> just get Din Tai Fung into, into one of these developments because I, I would be That'd there be awesome. a lot. Yeah, so we're going to go. We go every time. Din Tai Fung is on our list. We're going to be there Saturday for lunch. Um, Friday night, uh, we're going to go to Guy Savoy um, at Caesar's Palace. So we're going to do the the Michelin star dining and give that a shot. I've never eaten there. So it's we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, we could have done... We could have done a lot of things. I mean, you know, I, I can always go to Lotus of Siam, which I've been to a couple of times sure. over the years. Yeah. But it's always a good stop. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. There's a, a Chinese restaurant that Payan that, that kind of sounded like uh, kind of like Benny Chow's a little bit that 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 looked really appealing, uh, whose name I can't think of off the top of my head, but but that was recommended to me. There's Esther's Kitchen, an Italian place. There's there's Golden Steer, like the really classic Vegas steakhouse you know no shortage of places but yeah i mean vegas was a blast the concert was incredible and so you know just just have a great time yeah we're excited we're excited well i'll I'll give you a a report when we get back (laughs) yeah absolutely all right jonathan horowitz give us the 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 website and the social media for the houston hospitality alliance it is houstonhospitalityalliance.com that's uh where to go so um look for some great stuff coming uh next year fun stuff Thanks. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Great to see you. Great to talk to you. And uh, I hope you have a uh, fantastic rest of the week. Thanks so much. Take care. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston restaurant and bar news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.